so yeah guys um you know i just finished recording actually and um i think we ran a little bit over two hours so you know i'm jumping back in to let you guys know we are going to um actually do a second um part to this it's going to be a two-parter so you're going to get about an hour of the episode which is going to cover some of the mistakes in the draft and then you know, whatever that hour marker is, whatever JTAP decides to like make that cutoff and everything, he we're releasing the first part today, but look out for Thursday, Friday, or even Saturday for the second part. Um, at the very end, I talk about five players that um, I believe can sneak into the first round. That'll most likely get released um, after the draft. So it'd be really cool to sit there and listen to that afterwards, but but I just want to let you guys know, like, this is going to be a two-parter um, just because it ran extremely long. Me and Jay ended up, like, you know, talking about a lot of things, like, deeper than we expected to. So I just want to at least say that. Um, but before I talk your head off even more, I've got to get ready to go to work because I only got 50 minutes to shit, shower, shave, shampoo, and shine my shoes. So y'all take it easy. Love you guys and enjoy this episode. What is going on, guys? It is Fear the Beard from Fear the Beard Football Channel. This is episode nine, Rise of the Beard. If you are a Star Wars fan, that's a little kind of head nod to the series. Even though I hated the uh, sequel trilogy, um, you know, I'm I'm just as much of a Star Wars fan as I am a uh, football fan. But you know, like, definitely did not like those uh, sequels. So. Fuck you, Disney, for ruining my, like, childhood shit. And, uh, you know, but let's get back to football before I get on to an even longer rant that has nothing to do with this whole entire channel's about. Um, today, I don't really know how long our episode's gonna be. Um, I'm gonna go over a few things. Um, first topic is gonna be me, uh, me, <laughs> me steaks. <laughs> Sounds like a, like, shitty-ass, like, Japanese steak company, me steaks. Oh, me so horny. <laughs> Um, that's Jay Tap that you're hearing in the background. Um, he's gonna chime in on a few different things that um, you know that I've got to say because you know again I don't necessarily know how long this is gonna be because there's not a whole lot of meat to it. But you know whenever uh, somebody chimes in, it allows me to get a rebuttal and then we can elongate this episode a little bit. <clears throat> oh man, but um, but yeah. So the first thing that we're gonna talk about is mistakes heading into the draft. Um. So I know last week I did my, you know, my mock draft and everything. Um, and I mean, like, you know, whenever you do a mock draft, there's going to be a lot of things that are kind of on par with what um, the majority say, just because, you know, I mean, realistically, there's about 40 different dudes that could potentially go into the first round. So, you know, and then you look at like certain team needs and there's just, there's a lot of things that almost just look like it's going to happen regardless. But, um, what I'm going to talk about first, again, is going to be mistakes that I think teams could make heading into the draft. Um, you know, and I could be wrong on these, but when I look at certain situations, I'm just like, I don't I don't like what some of the experts are saying. I don't think this meshes well, and I just feel like that there's different things teams could go with. So starting off, um, you know, and I'm going to kind of go in order down the draft, basically, um, not not like all 32 teams. I'm just going to give you about four to six um, things in this um, that I truly think would be wrong for teams to go after. So the first thing is going to be the uh, San Francisco 49ers. They have the number three selection. Um, after doing all those trades uh, or doing that trade with Miami, and they did all those trades on that day, and, 
you know, we all remember that whole whirlwind of a day. But uh, that that finished out with the San Francisco 49ers moving up into the top three. And um, so they're definitely going to draft a quarterback for sure. Um, you don't move up nine spots if you're not going to take a quarterback, which, you know, I've heard like the whispers out there of people being like, well, maybe they traded up to get Panay Sewell. Well, you know, they already have like a top five offensive line. And like, yes, adding him would put it over the top, but realistically um you know Jimmy Garoppolo is not a bad quarterback when he's fully healthy I wouldn't say he's top 10 or anything like that but he's definitely like a top half quarterback in the league when he's fully healthy but again he's only had one season where he's remained fully healthy and again that that season they did go to the Super Bowl so you know Kyle Shanahan though is looking at this and you know, he's been in the league for four years, or he's, he's been the head coach of the 49ers for four years. He has um, a six-year contract, which, you know, they could go on ahead and fire him if he doesn't, like, you know, if he has another losing season this year. I doubt it that they would, because, I mean, most likely he's going to be starting over with a rookie quarterback. Um, we don't know if they're going to draft Jimmy Garoppolo's, like, heir apparent, and, like, if he's going to take over this year, we know they're going to draft you know, Jimmy Garoppolo's replacement, but we don't know if they're going to trade him before the draft and acquire more picks or if they're going to, you know, just wait, let him start and then transition whoever's next into the uh, mix. I think they'll move him on draft day because, you know, you look at Sam Darnold was able to get um, a second rounder and then like, I think a fourth and a sixth. I can't remember the exact details of the trade off the top of my head. Um, but I, I did cover that before and I'd look, analyzed it. I just can't 100% remember the full details. But, you know, like, I, I you got to think Jimmy Garoppolo is worth, worth that at least, you know. And and that's that's something that, um you know, the 49ers could use as just extra depth because they already have, like, you know, one of the best units on defense when it's fully healthy. Their offensive line is one of the best units in the league. So, you know, they're really just missing a consistency at quarterback. And that's not Jimmy Garoppolo. Like, if he's fully healthy, yes, he's one of the best ones. I mean, not one of the best ones, but he's just, he's competent when he's healthy. And he can get you where you need to go. But again, you know, that whole consistency issue is just something. So, um, a lot of the experts have the 49ers taking Mac Jones. And I, I get what they're saying as far as, you know, he is, he is the most NFL-ready guy right now. I'm just going to adjust this real quick because this is just bothering me watching that. That like Mike's just like crooked. Um, you ain't got to worry about editing that out or anything like that. I'm not, I'm not anal about stopping, but um, no man. Um, you know, I get it. He, he, in everyone's eyes is the most NFL ready quarterback. Um, and again, he has the lowest ceiling out of all of these guys, but you know, like Alabama, you're obviously playing with, you know, the most NFL guys because, you know, Alabama produces the most NFL talent. So these are all guys that he's playing with that are going to be playing on NFL teams this year. I mean, you know, just on the offensive side of the ball alone, um, potentially four people from the first round are going to be Alabama players. Mac Jones, Jalen Waddle, Devontae Smith, and potentially Najee Harris, even, even Alex Leatherwood is a guy that might potentially slip into the first round. I don't think so. But, you know, like, for offensive weapon purposes, you know, Najee Harris, Jalen Waddell, Devonta Smith, and, and, you know, Mac Jones himself. So four potential, like, you know, skill position players. That's where my phone is. I need to 
Don't want to hit and pop that mother motherfucker on silence real quick. Um, <clears throat> and while he does that, I do want to get in on something. Um, I definitely think that um, they will take Mac Jones. Um, and I definitely think that you couldn't go wrong trying to shop Jimmy G. Jimmy G's a decent game manager, especially with what the 49ers had. The um, offensive line dual running back set and their defense was whew. so I mean those type situations if you got a good game manager that gets you to a, a places like the playoffs maybe even the Super Bowl but you need that little extra off to push you over I don't know if Mac Jones is going to be it but um, I, I think it'll definitely be a little bit better than what Jimmy G had to offer back to the beard I mean, I get what you're saying because, like, that's what a lot of people are saying is that Mac Jones is going to be – but I, I think Mac Jones is going to be another um, another Jimmy G. He's going to be a game manager, which that's not necessarily bad. And I'm going to catch a lot of flack for saying this. But, um, you know, Tom Brady was a game manager, realistically. I mean, you know, he had a deep ball a little bit with – um. you know, when he had Randy Moss and all that. And, like, we saw him. But, I mean, for the most part of his career, he's dink and dunk and – you know, just like basically elongating drives because the best defense is realistically a good offense. If you can keep the defense off, the, if you can keep the opposing team's offense off the field and control the game clock, which that's what the Patriots did for years and years and years, he was just the best game manager there ever was. And I mean, Mac Jones has the potential to be that, don't get me wrong. And I like what um, John Lynch is doing as the GM. I feel like if they get it right at the quarterback position, they will be because they've been a great drafting team. Don't get me wrong. And, um, you know, Mac Jones is very smart. He processes things quickly. I, I totally get that. But I just look at Kyle Shanahan as a coach and I look at his coaching tree that he came from. I mean, obviously his father, Mike Shanahan, who had John Elway, big, strong arm, mobile guy. You know, um, he wasn't as mobile as you see today. But like for, you know, the 80s and 90s, he was a fairly mobile dude. I mean, even at 38, you remember that scramble running into the end zone. I think it was the Super Bowl against the Falcons, if I'm not mistaken. Dives into the end zone to get the game-winning touchdown. Um, or he got a first down. I, I mean, I don't remember that play like that. But, you know, I just everyone remembers that visual of him just getting hit by two guys at like 38, 39 years old. Diving for like his life. But, um, you know, then you go down the list. And you look at, um, you know, like Matt LaFleur, and I've made this argument before, like, but you you look at Matt LaFleur, you look at, um, you know, Sean McVay. And Matt LaFleur, he's got Aaron Rodgers, who, again, you know, I mean, Aaron Rodgers is 6'2", so he's not, like, big, but strong arm, mobility, very smart quarterback, um, and can make all of the plays that these offensive gurus that come from that Mike Shanahan coaching tree can bring to life. Then you go over to Sean McVay, and he was always lacking something because he had Jared Goff, who, who wasn't as mobile, who didn't have a big, strong arm. He had to use a lot of play action to throw the defenses off to make Jared Goff successful. And I think that's going to be a lot of what you see with Mac Jones if Kyle Shanahan decides. He's not going to be able to take make those, those plays that these offensive gurus are designing come to life. There's, there's a lot of them he will. The play actions, the short passes, all of that. But that's why I've always been stuck on Justin Fields needs to be the 49ers quarterback. He has the highest ceiling out of any of the guys available at this point. Um, you know, you can argue Trey Lance does, but I don't think that the 49ers go on ahead and draft a guy who's a project. You know, like I don't think he's as much of a project as Jordan Love was last year. 
but he's still a project. He's still young. He's still raw. Um, Justin Fields, though, that mug can throw 50 yards on a, you know, a 50 yard dime on the run, number one. And, you know, he runs a 4-4-40, which is like, you know, that's, that's like the best of what we've known. Like, that's Cam Newton level right there. He's just three inches, two to three inches shorter than him, but he's, he's cut from that same cloth. But the thing that separates him from Cam Newton is the fact that, like, Justin Fields is more composed. He has a sharper mind. He understands the playbook better. I mean, Cam Newton, when he came to Carolina, they had to dumb that down. It was a, a one-read system, and if his first read wasn't open, it was run. Justin Fields can scan the field, and, I mean, I think Mac Jones scans the field better, and he, un and he does the pre-snap better than any quarterback in the draft class right now. But, like, that's just one thing that separates him from everyone else, whereas, you know, Fields has a better arm than he does. Fields is more mobile than he is. And, I mean, I don't think that their minds are, are too far off. And I feel like if if you don't have a mobile quarterback in the NFL, you're a leg behind. I, I just feel like it would be a mistake for them to draft Mac Jones just because, yes, he's going to get you to where you need to go right now. But, like, what happens if you somehow just, like, start missing on your draft picks? Because look at the Philadelphia Eagles. They were one of the best drafting teams in the NFL. And then all of a sudden, like, they've just had a nosedive in the first round the last five or so years, and it's resulted in them being in the situation that they are. So you can't always rely on the fact that you're going to draft well. I mean, yes, can, like, if you consistently draft well, chances are you're going to. That's just my thing with that. Uh, moving on to number two, uh, the, the Bengals drafting realistically um, – you know, Jamar Chase or anything that is not an offensive line. Because I see them, you know, I was reading today, and I've read this from a lot of sources, that it's down to two guys. And if Jamar Chase and Panay Sewell are available, they're drafting one of them. So, like, I don't see them at all taking Kyle Pitts. Um, and I think that would be a mistake, too. I'm not saying Kyle Pitts is, like, you know, bad, because I think he's going to be a good NFL tight end slash receiver, whatever the hell he is. But, um... You know, you got to understand that if you draft Kyle Pitts, you're going to be in that limbo in four years. He realistically is a tight end, but he's going to want to get paid like a wide receiver, especially if he's producing well, um, which I, I highly, I think he will be producing at a high level as soon as he gets on and steps onto an NFL field. But you're going to get into a contract battle. Um, and, you know, like everyone talks about the Jamar Chase connection, and I guess it wouldn't be that big of a mistake, but, you know, you already have... T. Higgins, who was the number 26 receiver last year in terms of fantasy points, um, which, I mean, as a wide receiver, being a good fantasy receiver does translate into you being a decent football player. And out of 64 possible receivers, T. Higgins as a rookie was in the top half of those guys. You know, A.J. Green steps out, so he's obviously going to get a bigger role. Um, Tyler Boyd is on the, you know, uh, Tyler Boyd's going to most likely be the number one option and everything. Um but, you know, those are going to be the top two threats. And then, I, I mean, I think Alden Tate himself is a solid number three guy. You know, like, if I think if you have Alden Tate as your number three receiver, you're all right. I mean, I, I just, you know, I'm, I'm, I might be a little too high on him, but I just feel like that there's, there's better, there's more needs you can cover. And you can get, like, a receiver later on in the draft because you already have, like, I think uh, Tyler Boyd's heading into the last year of his contract, which I'm sure they'll most likely renew a contract with him. But you can always draft receiver. And I'm not, and I, I like I said last week, I'm not high on drafting a receiver, like, in the top 10. It's just something that I don't necessarily do 
or like to do. Um, just because it usually takes them a couple years before, about the third year before they really start showing promise. Um, and then again, I mean, you just drafted Joe Burrow number one overall last year, and he ended up basically tearing his what ACL and something else. I mean, he did major damage to his uh to his left knee, and that was only his rookie year. So, I think that what you got to do is protect him. You know, you have Jonah Williams. Billy Price is solid. Go on ahead and get Panay Sewell. Keep him upright and then worry about the Because it doesn't matter if you have a big play threat if you don't have time in the pocket is what I'm trying to say. You need to keep him upright and protected or else you're just going to waste your number one overall pick from a year ago. It's the same thing that happened with Andrew Luck. It's the same thing that happened with Desha- that's going that happened with Deshaun Watson. You know, that career's up in the air and it's not because of the offensive line. It's because of other things, but if this didn't happen, we would be talking about not keeping him protected. So I don't want to see that for Joe Burrow because I believe he is the going to be the clear-cut number one quarterback 10 years from now. I think you were about to chime in on something. <clears throat> um, yeah, so I definitely agree. Um, biggest thing is just keeping your quarterback upright. Um, I think the last time I was really on the podcast, we were talking about Joe Burrow because uh, I'm a big fan of Joe Burrow. I think he's got tremendous upside. And um, I think they need to do whatever they can to protect him because, um, I mean, it ain't been shit to be excited about in Cincinnati for a while. So I definitely think even – I mean, for definitely for them to go anywhere, but not even for that, for just to be something to be excited about in the city when it comes to football, you definitely want to keep Joe Burrow upright for as long as you can. That's my my little plea about it. I mean, I'm a hundred I'm a hundred percent in agreement with you, man. Um, I think the first thing you do is you get a quarterback. I think after that, you know, you worry about protecting him, and then you get guys that can go after the opposing team's quarterback. And, you know, I'm okay if you, like, work on the offensive line first and then try to get a guy. Um, but those are the three main things that need to be covered. One and two, you can interchange and everything. I, If you want to build your team from the inside out. But they've got their quarterback. Keep them upright and then go on ahead and get guys that can get after the opposing team's quarterback. Um, so then, then we're moving on to number three, um, which would be the Miami Dolphins a pick later. And... You know, I think, first of all, I have, a, like, a lot of people saying about them standing pat and drafting Kyle Pitts if, um, you know, if Atlanta doesn't go on ahead and draft him, if they stand pat at number four and they end up trading up. Because I, I think it's a, you know, possibility that Atlanta trades up and uh, or trades back, actually. And, you know, whoever decides to trade up there. I'm, I mean, I'm thinking Denver, obviously. Um, trading up and getting um, Trey Lance. Who knows if they have to do that. But that that's kind of like where my mindset is at. Is that like I think that they're most likely going to trade back. But you know if if not like there's been rumors of Miami trading up to the number four spot. To go on ahead and get Kyle Pitts. And I think this would require both of their first round draft picks. And I think I think either of those is a mistake. Because... You know, first of all, you you did all this wheeling and dealing, and I think standing pat at the number six spot after coming off of a ten and six record, you could still get value there. 
because in my mind, you know, this is like, we all know how I've got it going. Um, but I mean, like if you at least go back to next, um, last week and listen to that podcast, you'll understand where I have my projections and what like my, like mock draft was. But I've had I've seen some where like they've got Miami trading up to the number four, and I'm like that would require two first round picks from this year, I believe, with Atlanta, and then they would have the six and the eighteen, and I just think that would be a mistake. You already have Mike Gusecki as a tight end, so even even if he falls to you at number six, the way I have it going is I have you know Jamar Chase falling to number six with Miami, and I think that's so much better. You know, Tua doesn't have the deep arm that Joe Burrow had, but you know, like I'm sorry. Jamar Chase can get separation on one-on-one coverage a lot, you know, in the NFL. And you're going to have those opportunities. You don't necessarily have to bomb at 50 yards. You know, like, if he gets separation, you could just throw a nice little fade route and he gets it at 40 yards, which two is more than capable of making. Um, and then Jamar Chase is also just really a good route runner himself. So it's like you don't necessarily need to just use him on just-go routes. He's so much more. Like, he's got a lot of tools in the tool belt. I think... I think it hurts you getting a tight end because, again, you're stuck in that contract debate four years from now. Um, you could just go on ahead and get a guy who you know is going to be a number one you know, receiver, and maybe two is not your guy because you've talked about moving off of him and everything. What if you do wind up going on ahead and getting a big, strong-arm quarterback? Like, now he's going to have weapons. He's going to make Devontae, Smith, I mean, Devontae Parker better. Again, you've got Mike Gusecki. But why I want them to keep that number 18 spot is, again, in my mock draft, I have them picking Najee Harris because their running game is lacking. All right, they're they're rolling out with Miles Gaskin, who, I, I mean, he's an okay running back, don't get me wrong, but I don't think he's capable of being a three-down bell cow. Um, and I don't think that that's anything that people are going to argue with me about. But Najee Harris is a guy who has, you know, pass-catching competence, He's a big bulldozer running back, like something like we had seen with Derrick Henry. And I feel like this guy can be that. So if you can go on ahead and lock up the best receiver in the draft, and then you can in turn go on ahead and get another running back, those are the two things I think that are truly missing from Miami. This is a team that went 10-6 and six last year. <coughs> They're about to compete in what's going to be an uber-competitive AFC East. Um, you know, I don't see the Jets getting a whole, whole lot better. I haven't really looked at their schedule, but out of 17 games, I don't know, five, six wins. Um, and that's like, that's pretty good for last place. And then I have Miami and I also have uh, New England competing for that second and third spot. You know, another 10, 11 win situation for the Miami Dolphins and whoever, you know, whoever is number two in that division is going to be a 10, 11 win guy. But then Buffalo is obviously going to be number one. They're the most complete team, barring injuries. They are the best team in the AFC East. But, but this just makes them more competitive. And I feel like if you go on ahead and get rid of these draft picks and everything, and you go on ahead and try and get Kyle Pitts, you're just, um, you know, I think you're, um, I don't know the, the actual phrase for it, but you're kind of, you're kind of setting your, you're, you're kind of like. Um, Oh, what's it called? You're, you're cutting yourself short or whatever, what, whatever the saying is and everything. Um, I, I can't 100% remember. But, yeah, if you can walk away with Jamar Chase and Najee Harris out of this draft, you have a solid offensive line and a solid defense, and your quarterback position's okay, why not go on ahead and get that? That's that's just my take on that. Uh, 
I just wanted to chime in and say I, I, I agree. That <laughs> was just pretty. Yeah, I was rocking with you on that one. Um, I mean, I think it's kind of just pretty much laid out. Um, I was watching a lot of uh, pre-draft talk last night, um, and a lot of the stuff is kind of matching up what we kind of expected to, um, and plus a lot of things that you covered in the last podcast. I uh, the only thing we really and I kind of I, I guess it just makes the draft a draft um, is the surprises. Who's gonna trade up? Who's gonna trade down? Who's gonna um, uh, take who? And then sometimes you just got those rare occurrences where it's just a absolutely bad decision made right before your very eyes. So <clears throat> excuse me, but that's. <clears throat> kind of where we're at now to kind of see, I mean, like we laid it out. I mean, I'm in agreement with um pretty much how you had it laid out. Um, but I know as well as you know, there's probably gonna be mistakes made. Some people are gonna probably try to pull some 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 hats, some rabbits out the hat. It's probably not gonna go the way they expected, or not everything that we expected. So the best part about it is just seeing. Who's really gonna fuck it up? Um, that's that's kind of what I'm here for. <laughs> I think if they do what they're supposed to, shouldn't necessarily be too many surprises. Um, but you never know, um, and that's what makes the draft so exciting and makes you look forward to next season. So, but it's it's a lot of chances for people to uh, muck it up. But I mean, we'll see. I mean, you're right. There's, there's always, I mean, there's always mistakes, and um, you know, with this combine being so weird, with you know the lack of information, you know, no legit NFL combine. You're just going to people's pro days. I, I mean, it's, it's tough in itself, and you're relying on so much film. But like the, you know, the combine just shows. <clears throat> Damn, I don't know why my throat's dry. I get to talking on here for so long, and I need to always remember to bring some fucking water with me, you know? Because <laughs> like, my throat be getting dry as a motherfucker. Hell yeah. Elder. <clears throat> I just gave my elderberry uh, cough drop. If you don't know about elderberry, read up on it. This is not one of those uh, health guru podcasts, but read up on your elderberry. Hey, wise words from JTAP. Yes, sir. I mean, I wouldn't expect anything less. But, um... Oh, well, I mean, also... Real quick, uh, real before you go there. Because <clears throat> I know we were covering the Falcons and everything. And um, they were talking about it yesterday and posed a very good question. Julio Jones. Do you think he uh, gets traded? Not, may, not maybe <coughs> ahead of time. But do you think he he stays a Falcon the whole season next season? I do. I think that what they're going to try to do is get somebody that, um, you know, is going to really help them win now, whatever that may be. Um, definitely not a receiver. But, I mean, look at the um, – well, like, just let's go back to the Roddy White situation when Julio was entering the league. You know, he didn't get traded. He just – and I, the Falcons don't really do that too often. You know what I mean? Right. Um, they're, they're not a super aggressive team. Um, you don't really see them make moves like that. Now, they did trade up to get Matt Ryan back way back when, and they've done that. But they've just 
they've never been a super, super aggressive team. And I don't think that – I think that Julio Jones isn't as high or valued as high anymore in the league as he once was just two seasons ago. But I think the Falcons are going to view him as higher than what other teams do. So it's going to be hard to move off of him. And then he's just going to age out in his contract. But I think that they're going to give him at least this full season because they want to get someone and try and build a team in the draft that's going to help them win now. And I feel like they're very confident that they can do that. And so they're going to give Matt Ryan and Julio Jones, bare minimum, one more year to go at it. Because um, yeah. he is owed a, a nice little pit, a little uh, chunk left on his contract. I mean, didn't he get drafted in 09? Or was it 20? No, did he get drafted in... What year did he go? He was either 09 or... Either 09 he didn't get drafted or with Cam Newton, did he? I don't think so. I think it might have been after Cam. I know he's either on his 10th or 11th season. So, I don't yeah, have I mean, to look it up. Bare minimum, he's... Bare, bare minimum, he's 31. Yeah. And you're getting close to the end of your career with um, being a wide receiver now. He could go the... I think he's going to go the Fitzgerald route. Fair Change enough. up his game. Pro- probably switch to the slot. Become more of a blocker. Because he's, he's that same size. And he's, they're very similar receivers and everything in terms of, like, you know, big guy, strong guy, you know, and, and just a good, like, real, just a very smart receiver. And I feel like he's got the head on his shoulders like Fitzgerald does to where he would change up his game. Um, Julio's 32. 32? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, A.J. Green, I think, is 33. I think because A.J. Green was a year above him. Yeah, yeah. And um, you know what? They did get drafted in 2011 because Andy Dalton and A.J. Green got drafted in the same draft as Cam Newton did in 2011. So that was – they are that same – they are the same age basically. Um, but, yeah, A.J. Green's getting up there too. and Now, he's had more injuries than Julio, but still. Um, but, yeah, like mistakes will be made in the draft. We all know Green Bay is going to be a team that makes a mistake and everything because that's just what they do because they never draft offensive weapons to help out um, my guy over there, Aaron Rodgers, that bad man, you know. Um, but, yeah, it would just be a mistake for the Dolphins, in my opinion, to go that route, trade your collateral just to go on ahead and get some guy that you realistically don't need. Um, you need a receiver. You need a running back, and you can get both of those. And even if, like, because I know the Steelers have talked about Najee Harris and taking him, and that's the only way that he goes into the first round. But still, I think that if you're reaching for him at the 18th, I don't think that's a reach because it's the last team need that you have. So, um, next one's going to be Detroit. So, the very next pick. And all these are going to go in order 6, 7, and 8 because I'm about to talk about the um, Panthers as well after this. So, <clears throat> my thing with um, the Detroit Lions is they only have six picks in the NFL draft this year, okay? And you have so, so, so many positions that you need to fill. Now, if they stand pat and Panay Sewell or Rashawn Slater are available, I think you definitely take one of them because you need someone that's going to pair well with Taylor Decker um, on that offensive line. But again, there is just so many things that they need. That, that again, I mean, they're, I think once you take Matthew Stafford off that team, they went 5-11 and 11 last year. This defense was worse than the 0-16 team in 2008. So, 
you know, Matthew Stafford realistically won them five games last year. And that's, I mean, like real, I mean, go back and look at that. If you, if you're a Matthew Stafford hater, I don't see it. You're just looking at the fact that the Lions have been abysmal and they haven't drafted well. But when they actually had somewhat of a good core on the defensive side, also along with Calvin Johnson, you know, they, they were actually something. So, you know, that like I, I think they need to trade back. I have them trading back with the New England Patriots, still getting like Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, but also garnering like two or three extra picks this year and then maybe one or two extra picks next year as well. So then that puts you from, you know, six picks in the NFL draft to now you have like two extra picks as well. You now have eight picks or nine picks this year. And, and I mean, like now you just have more chances to like find somebody deeper in the draft that's going to also help your team. Because I think no matter who drafts Jeremiah Wusu-Koromoa, he's going to be a stud. And I just, I think that that helps Detroit so much better than them going on ahead and getting a solid offensive line because they need a baller on that defensive side of the ball. Um, you know, Jerem, um, Jeff Okuda didn't play as well as I thought he would. He still has a chance to step up and be that guy. Um, but, yeah, if you have if he can do that and you have a solid guy in your secondary and then you can get a quarterback on the offense, I mean, on the linebacking core, which I think Jeremiah Wusukoromoa can be, um, now all you're just doing is worried about like you know finding somebody in the front se- in the front seven, which with so many defensive guys falling into the second round, you have that potential. So you know you're you're gonna see some studs that deserve to go in the first round, like Trevon Morig. He is gonna fall into the second round, in my opinion, most likely. Um, well, you know now that Baltimore had uh, made that trade with Kansas City. I do think that they're going to go on ahead and draft and draft him at the number thirty-one spot, but I could be wrong. They could find someone that's going to replace Orlando Brown. I'm not one hundred percent sure, but yeah, I think Detroit not trading back would be a huge mistake because you only have six picks this year and you need so 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 much to like fix this team as it stands right now. With Jared Goff and Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay gone, <coughs> this team to me would be lucky to win two games. Lucky. Roadhouse. <laughs> Roadhouse. That's 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 a big statement, but I mean, <clears throat> definitely can see where you're going with that one. But yeah, that's that's big. Only two wins. Mm-hmm. Oh, oh. I mean, look at their roster. True. True. You know, Marvin Jones is gone. Galladay's gone. Hawkinson hasn't really stepped up like people thought he would. You know, they do have DeAndre Swift and Carrion Johnson, and that's a solid one-two punch. But they have no offensive line. They really have nobody on the defensive side of the ball except Jeff Okuda, and the only thing that makes him relevant is his name because of how big he was last year in the draft. I mean, they they have nothing. Yeah, I got to I got to agree with you on that. I mean, when you when you lay it out and break it down, especially um, with their roster, yeah, two two wins actually. Uh, it kind of seems logical a little bit. So, I mean, well, then that's the thing. Their running back situation is their best. And I'm sorry to have cut you off on that one, but their running back situation is their best. I agree with you. 
No, you good. Yeah, like it's like that. That's their best thing is their running back situation, and they're gonna be in negative game scripts constantly. I don't think you're gonna like turn on, be watching the game on Sunday and look down at the score, uh, look down at the bottom line and see, you know, the Detroit Lions ahead in the game past the first quarter too much. So that means they're gonna be passing a lot more. Jared Goff, Sean McVay designed so many good situations for him, and I mean maybe Dan Campbell is gonna be a good head coach, and I think he will be. But I mean, if Sean McVay, Sean McVay was a guru when it came with um, with um, with Jared Goff, and I mean there were so many times where like he had that one good year, but there were so many times that it was like you could see that he did not deserve to be a number one overall draft pick, and like the fact that he was a quarterback was the only thing. So. When your best part of your game is going to be something that you're realistically not going to use because you're going to be behind a lot, that just game scripts you out of it so often. And now you can't use your best, um, you can't use your most potent like part about you. And, and I mean, because you're not going to sit there and be down two, three touchdowns or, or down two, three scores and just being like, well, let's just hand it off to the running back. You know, yeah, you might dump it off to like DeAndre Swift, but I mean, are you really trying to dink and dunk when you're like three scores behind? No, you're trying to gain points and... You know, you're trying to gain as much field position as you can, so that's why I'm saying that they're they're gonna they're like they would be lucky to win two two three games, <clears throat> but I am gonna stand pat it too. Um, but yeah, then then my last one is gonna be the Carolina Panthers. So, you know, we all know that I'm a Carolina Panthers fan, and I think no matter what. It's like I, I remember watching draft day and um, when the guy who kept, who plays who's played by Kevin Costner goes and um, drafts um, what was that I can't remember his first name but his last name was Mac and he was that linebacker out of Ohio State and everyone was saying like oh you got to draft Bo Callahan number one overall and he was just a fucking dick whatever and so. He wheels and deals, ends up drafting Mac number one overall. His owner was pissed, whatever, whatever. Um, but, you know, his dad had wrote, you know, Mac over everyone. And he never even read that card ever. And he just went on ahead and did that. And it showed, anyway, uh, that's such a beautiful moment. But I think the Panthers need to have a mindset like that. It's in terms of they cannot walk away with anything but an offensive lineman in the first round. I mean, and Rashawn Slater can play all over the offensive line. He can play tackle if you want him to on the left and right side. And he can also play both guard positions. And I think realistically you can put him in at center because I'm pretty positive he has played center in in uh, college. Now, I'm not, don't 100% quote me on that, but I do feel like I remember reading that somewhere. And, you know, now if Rashawn Slater and Panay Sewell are off the board, if, if what for whatever reason Panay Sewell slips, and drops that far, obviously go get him. But if he's not, and Rashawn Slater's available, get him. Now, if both of them are gone, find a way to trade back and get um, Ali Vera Tucker or something like that. You know, Christian Darasaw. I mean, realistically, in my opinion, I, I know that we have Taylor Moten at the right tackle position, but you can trade back even further and still get a guy like Tevin Jenkins, who I love. Now, he's a right tackle, <clears throat> but Moten, he could play left tackle. Tevin Jenkins, I don't know if he could 100%, but 
they're like it realistically just depends like Moten is a physically dominating right tackle and if you're a right tackle that's physically dominating it can be very easy for you to make that transition to left tackle now I understand your first round pick that's usually a mistake but I think you just swing for the fences and I mean even if even if whatever situation happens, they, they have to address the offensive line in this draft, and, and primarily in the first two picks, in my opinion. So I think for the Panthers, regardless what they do, if they decide to trade up, if they decide to go on ahead and stand pat, you know, because of if something works out for them, they have to walk away with an offensive lineman. I actually agree. <clears throat> um because I do, I do think it's time to start trying to rebuild that line. Uh, defense is <clears throat> sustainable, so it's not something that you have to go out and kill yourself to try to uh, put pieces on now. But their offense definitely needs to start trending in an upward direction, and I think it definitely starts with the um, O line, and then because um, they what they brought Teddy. They still got Teddy, right? They still got him, but they're they've like allowed him to seek trades. Yeah, I don't think he's going anywhere. Um, I think he'll still be there next year. And Teddy's a decent game manager as well. I love Teddy. And if you get him office uh, more offensive line help and keep him upright, Teddy's one of those guys that can that can do a. He's like a, a sharp dagger. You're looking for the sword, and somebody pulls that dagger out on you. That's a little bit more that you didn't see, and you'll be surprised at what Teddy can do if you can keep him upright and not pre- keep him under constant pressure. So I think uh, addressing the O-line situation would definitely be a smart thing to do, and hopefully um, I'm from Carolina, so I'm a Cowboys fan, but <clears throat> when Carolina does do good, uh, make good decisions, I don't feel too bad about it because, you know, it's the hometown until – one of these Panther fans started talking shit about my Cowboys. Then all bets are off. I don't care. See, I'm kind of the like reverse of what you are. Because like I grew up a Cowboys fan in my like early years because my pops is a huge Cowboys fan. But then I moved to Carolina. And then, you know, like Dallas, you can be a Dallas fan anywhere. Because you're, you're, no matter where you are, you're going to be able to watch them on Sunday. But, uh, you know, I, I just became a part of the Panthers fandom. And, um, but yeah, I'm the same way. Like I pull for Carolina, but if Dallas, like I keep an eye on Dallas, I root for them to do good. And I follow them probably not as hard as I do the Panthers, but I follow them harder than any other team in the NFL. Um, and, and real quick, since we're talking about Dallas, I just got to say this, um, you know, hats off to Sean Lee, man. Um, you know, he just announced his retirement the other day, um, (coughs) And I understand it's a lot like Luke Keekley, just concussions derailed what could have been a very beautiful career. Yeah. I think those two, you know, it's they to me are once in a generation type of often, you know, linebackers because they're just they were one in the same. If, if Sean Lee was healthy, that's the only linebacker in the NFL that could have like that you could argue was better than Luke Keekley. They were literally one in the same. There were two in the same players. Like they were exactly the same guy. Quarterback on the defense had great instincts. Thanks. You know, and and I just um, it's sad to see him go because injuries and concussions derailed what could have been a beautiful career. 
But even when he was playing, it was just... It was like watching like Picasso paint, essentially. I mean, he was an artist on the field. Facts. And um, I'm I'm sad to watch him go. I'm sad that I didn't get to see like his full career play out because of again injuries. But you know, I'm happy that he made his decision and he's comfortable with it. And I was happy to have been able to watch one of the best linebackers to ever play the game grace that field. Yeah, um, I actually second that. Um, <clears throat> I definitely think. Sean Lee uh, will be somewhere on somebody's uh, defensive uh, coordinator's sideline doing something. I mean, because he's just one of those guys to where you've seen him. He uh, went out on his shield. Um, anytime that you see him play, it's it, like the guys rally around him. Like you would really – like when he's out – we were getting our asses handed to us, and then it's like he's come, he comes back on the field, and it's like he's it's, it's a totally different defense. So, I mean, like, <clears throat> and you get those type of guys who who people rally around them through respect. Like your guys got to respect you mm-hmm. because if they don't respect you, they're not gonna go as hard. I mean, if they didn't respect him, they literally would play the same when he was out. But when he comes back in and he's on the field, it's almost like a it's like, like a Dad safety being out net. There watching you, yeah, it's like a safety net. Like you just subconsciously, you just feel like so much stronger, and they play harder. So I mean, hate to see him go out the way he went out, um, <clears throat> but you know you can't keep putting your there's life after football. And you don't want to keep putting yourself in those type of situations. So, hats off to him. <clears throat> yeah, man, it's just sad to watch that because, you know, that could have been – I mean, he realistically could have had just a phenomenal, phenomenal career and one for the ages. But, again, injuries just derailed that. Um, So, yeah, that wraps up my uh, mistakes heading into the draft section. Like we say every single episode, we out! <laughs>